The following program is sponsored by the Jelinski Advisory Group, which is solely responsible for its content. Josh Jelinski is the president of Wealth Quarterback, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm located in New Jersey. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm or its representatives by securities regulators, nor is it an indication that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Investment advisory services may only be provided to clients in jurisdictions in which the firm and its representatives are appropriately registered or exempt from registration. You should not assume that any discussion or information contained in this broadcast serves as the receipt of or or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product, or any non-investment-related content made reference to directly or indirectly in this broadcast will be profitable, equal any corresponding indicated historical performance level or levels, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation or prove successful. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback LLC. Tired of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. Now let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, coming to you live every Saturday and Sunday at 9. So chime in right now. Pick up the phone and give us a call, 800-321-0710. If you have questions on stocks, bonds, annuities, mutual funds, no question is a dumb one except the one that you do not ask. So pick up the phone live right now. You get to ask me any and every financial question you have right right now. So what's going on in the market? Well, imagine a world where 100-year CEOs, 100-year-old CEOs thrive. Rupert Murdoch, may have shown that that might be the future. Hey, if you're a an older person, don't don't consider yourself dead when you're 70. Hey, you could have 25 years left like Rupert who just stepped down and announced his succession plan with son Lachlan this week. The S&P had pretty startling developments The market closed for the week at 43.20. But there's a lot of news we want to talk about, about your money, but I really want to hear from you. So pick up the phone now. Give us a call, 800-321-0710. If you have questions on stocks, bonds, annuities, mutual funds, In fact, whatever question you have, no question is a dumb one, except the one that you do not ask. So chime in right now, 800 
321-0710. You know, this is an interesting article by the Alliance for Lifetime Income, which talks about a new formula and category for today's retirement plan. There's a unique benefit called risk pooling that can enhance a truly diversified retirement income planning process. This is from an article by Emilio Pardo and Wade Fowl, research fellow at the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Retirees are facing a variety of risks as they exit the labor force and are no longer funding their living expenses from their regular wages. They must find a way to convert their financial resources into a stream of income and spending power that will last the remainder of their lives. To accomplish this, they manage both longevity risk, the risk of outliving their retirement income, and market risk, the risk of losing income due to market downturns, among other challenges. But to date, they have to deal with, have had to deal with conflicting advice about how to best accomplish this task. Meaning, some people say annuities are good. Some people say annuities are bad. To better cut through the conflicting views about retirement income planning, So you go to two advisors, they might tell you two different things. What are you to do about that? This paper uses a straightforward illustration to show how protected income from a lifetime annuity as a, as an optional, with an optional retirement income benefit compares with other strategies. An annuity with such an optional benefit may help mitigate both longevity risk and market risk by providing a protected lifetime income advantage, which also increases spending power. Americans are living longer today. So those retiring today and in the future must plan for a longer period of spending than previous generations. Consider the 100-year-old CEO that Rupert Murdoch makes us think about. With improving longevity, retirees may increasingly need to consider the possibility of living to 100 or beyond. Society of Actuaries data on annuity purchases suggests that a 65-year-old woman today has a 10% chance of living beyond age 100. Just consider that a 65-year-old woman has a 10% chance of living beyond 100. But first, we're going to go to the phone lines, and we have Christina. You're on with Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. So my interest is that um, I'm 64, like I said, and um, what is the best way to go? I don't know if it's an annuity to invest money and you're not losing money, especially at my age of 64. You know, I, you know, I'm not going to work until I'm like 90. Of course not. 
but you know, I do plan on you know working to the age of seventy. Um, you know, so you know, you want to invest money to make money and not lose anything on. So, what is the best way to go? CDs, annuities, um, you know, stocks, bonds. Sure. What is the best no, way? Yeah, I mean, you would you describe as yourself as conservative, moderate? I think there's five types of people. This is kind of, you know, this is a way to simplify. I mean, some people have a hundred risk profiles, but I think there are five general risk profiles. There's someone who is conservative, meaning you can afford little risk, maybe risk on up to 20% of your money. There are people who are moderately conservative. You can afford risk on 40% of your money. There are people who are moderate. You can afford your risk on maybe 60, 50 to 60% of your money. There are people moderately conservative. You can maybe afford 80% risk on your money. And then there are moderately aggressive. You can afford about 70, 80% of, your, of risk on your money. And then there are people who are aggressive. You can afford 90, 95% risk on your money. And by risk, I'm defining as you put your money in high quality stocks. That is still risky. You could still lose your principal. But, yeah, I mean, you'd be putting them in companies like an Apple, a Walmart. We own that for interests of full disclosure for some of our clients. But the, but the point is, I think first you have to define what is your general category of risk? Do you know your risk profile or no? Um, I would say um, I'm conservative. You know? conservative. Um, yeah, yes. And when I say conservative, I don't mean politically conservative because <laughs> we're, we're on a conservative talk radio station. I mean conservative with your money. You don't really like to lose money due to a market downturn. So, so for someone who's conservative, a long-term investor who's conservative should still have 20% in high-quality stocks, index funds, ETFs, things that uh, could potentially beat inflation, and stocks, as evidenced by historical data from 1927, compiled by the University of Chicago Center for Price Research, so I would say you, you still want to have a market component of no less than 20%. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, for the 80% that you're like, I don't want to see that go down. I get that the market is good long term, but it's just what I'm not comfortable with. I mean, you, you know, now I would argue too, the longer you live, the more you're going to need an equity component. So maybe you go up to 40%. But still, let's call it 20 to 40% inequities. What are you going to do with the other 60% then? Well, you would need cash in the bank for an emergency fund equal to six months pay. And then you could put a portion in treasuries, what you might need in three months, six months, one year with one year treasuries. And then you could also put a portion in an annuity to provide income that lasts as long as you do. That's sort of what this article is suggesting, that annuities act better in terms of 
helping you if you live till 100 or live till 90. So you might be 60, work till you're 70, but you have to plan for the potentiality of a 20-year retirement plus. And you have to run models of can my portfolio withstand that going 100% conservative. That's what I would say. Start out with the premise of going 80% conservative. See if the numbers work there and do a retirement income modeling session with us. Give us a call at 888-988-JOSH and say the word income and you get the free 45-minute wealth and income review. Plus, I'll throw in my book, Retirement Reality Check. Do you have an income plan? If you have more questions like that, I like those questions. But it's really as simple as figuring out your risk profile, not forsaking equities completely. Too many people are doing that, and then they're not meeting their long-term inflation-adjusted goals. So give us a call, 800 321 0710. A lot going on in the world of Roths and IRA conversion. The 10 year rule and spousal beneficiary. Also, October 16th, the deadline for correcting 2022 IRA contributions is upon us. Maybe you made a Roth IRA contribution for 2022 and then discovered your income too high. Maybe you contributed to a traditional IRA, but later discovered that the contribution was not deductible. You may have made an IRA contribution and just changed your mind, and you'd rather contribute to a Roth IRA or maybe not contribute at all. The good news is if you act quickly, you can fix these issues by correcting your 2022 IRA contribution by the upcoming October 16 deadline. So are you ready to do so? So you you can make corrective distributions and basically the IRS lets you claim a mulligan. So give us a call now, 800-321-0710. If you have questions on stocks, bonds, annuities, mutual funds, whatever question you have, no question is a dumb one except the one that you do not ask. So we're always here for you. If you have questions, give us a call now. 800-321-0710. So there are rules for inherited IRA and 401k distributions. This from IRA Help. Dot com. Question of the day. I have a new inherited IRA and I believe I am subject both to the 10-year rule and to annual RMDs. So maybe you just inherited an IRA. And here's the situation. The original owner was age 92 and passed away in September of 2022. The original owner was taking RMDs and took a 2022 RMD in February 22. My brother and I, age 61 and 63, each inherited 
half of this IRA. The paperwork on this inheritance was not complete until late January 2023. We are non-spousal beneficiaries, sons or daughters, you could say. It doesn't matter. Basically, non-spouse beneficiaries. How do we calculate the RMDs we need to take, if any? What balance do we use? What balance dated and when? Whose age or life expectancy do we use? When does the 10-year rule clock start for us? And that's from Mark. Hi, Mark. You are correct. Each of the inherited IRAs is subject to both the 10-year payment rule and annual RMDs. Assume the inherited IRA has been split into two separate accounts. If not, that should be done by 12-31-23. Since death was in 2022, the 10-year period begins in 2023, and the inherited IRAs must be emptied by 12-31-32. So that's 10 years after the death. Annual RMDs originally would have been required starting in 2023, but the IRS has waived 2023 RMDs for beneficiaries in your situation. If RMDs are required for 2024, depending on future IRS guidance, they would be based on the 1231 account balances. If you turn or turn to 63 this year, your 2024 RMD would use a 23.5 life expectancy factor. So you take the balance at the end of 23, you divide it by 23.5 under the IRS single life table. 24.5 is the factor for a 63-year-old that you would have used for the 2023 RMD. Minus one. The 2025 would be based on 23.5 minus one and so forth. Your brother's 24 RMD, assuming he turns 61 this year, would be based on his factor. 26.2 is the factor for a 61 year old minus one. So I hope that helps. If you need help, because you just inherited an IRA and don't know what to do with it, give us a call now, 800 We're taking your phone calls all hour. If you want help uh, going through your own situation from a perspective of fees, taxes, and risks, head on over to retirenow.info. That's retirenow. Dot info. I'd love to meet with you personally. Call us at 888-988-JOSH for the review. I have a client who is 76 years old, still works, and does not have an ownership interest in the employer that she worked at. She therefore has been taking RMDs from her 401k. She rolled over a portion of the 401k to her traditional IRA this year and continues to work for this company. She does not intend to retire 
until next year or later. She will continue to take RMDs on her IRA based on the prior year-end balance. Is there any RMD this year and relative to the partial rollover from her 401k? The answer is no. 2023 IRA RMDs will be based on 1231-22 IRA balance, which does not include the amount rolled over earlier this year. She does not have a 2023 RMD due from the 401k since she is still working for her employer. So that is the still working exception. Next up, Bruce, you're on with Josh Jelinski, uh, the financial quarterback. You can call us uh, at 800-321-0710 if you have a question. Bruce's question was, IRA and stock capital gains, how is taxation handled? Well, stocks are handled based on long-term capital gain or short-term capital gain treatment if they are outside of an IRA. But if you have an IRA, you are taxed at ordinary income rates. So go ahead, Bruce. Two questions. You, um, I'm a little unclear with the answer you gave to one of them. First of all, I heard that minimum distributions are no longer required at 72, but rather at 73. Is that correct? Was it changed to 73 or not? That is correct, unless you turned 72 last year. Okay, great. And the other question is uh, what you were speaking about. If I have stocks in an IRA, I'm thinking of selling some of them and going into um, long-term bonds since the rates are so high. Uh, If the stocks are profitable, do I have to pay tax on that profit even though it's in the IRA or, or not? And then if they're, if they're a loss, do I get to take off the loss on my, because I'm still working. Sure. Now, is this company stock or just stock you bought within an IRA? Is it company stock? It's, uh, you know, the big companies. And I, okay, I, I don't, so just, I guess I shouldn't You have no the interest names, in but, the companies. You have no interest sorry? in the companies. You have zero interest in the companies, correct? Zero no. interest. Except okay. that they if make you a were an that employee, I make money on it. <laughs> okay. If you were an employee of the 401k their company, there's something called net unrealized appreciation. And that will afford you the opportunity to have capital gains treatment on that stock. But if you have an IRA and the IRA owns Acme stock, and you have a loss against it, you can't write off that loss against the gains. Every distribution is taxed at ordinary income when you take constructive receipt of it. But you don't pay capital gains from age you know, 20 to 73 or 72, depending on your age, until you take an RMD or if you take a distribution out of it. So there is no benefit from a tax perspective of owning stock within an IRA, just like there's no benefit of owning an annuity within an IRA or really anything of that matter. The only thing where there can be some benefit is if you have company stock within a 401k and prior to the rollover, 
you pay tax on the stock that was given to you. So let's say you have uh, Acme stock, you work for Acme, they gave you 100 grand of stock. That would be taxed at ordinary income. But then the growth from, say, 100 grand to 400 grand, and you retire with 400 grand of Acme stock, that could be taxed at long term capital gains. But other than that exception, which is called net unrealized appreciation or NUA, you really have no benefit of owning stock within an IRA other than for growth. I mean, I'm not against that, but there's no tax benefit. Does that make sense? The Acme stock that I bought at five and in the IRA in the IRA and I sell at seven, I would still have to pay um, capital gains tax on the two. No. Five from seven. No, no. No. Okay. An IRA or a 401k is like a wrapper for your stock. So when when you have IRA and you sell it for five, you sell it for seven, you bought it for five, then you, then you buy another stock for eight, you sell it for 10, you have a loss. You can't write off the losses, and you don't. And the gains do not trigger taxes. They only trigger taxes when you take the money out and take constructive receipt, because an IRA is a tax deferred vehicle. That's the beauty of a Roth or an IRA: is you can buy, sell, buy, sell. You're not going to get dinged by the tax man every time you buy or sell. A non-IRA, you will have to deal with short-term capital gains, long-term capital gains, all that stuff. Does that make sense? Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help with this. Wonderful. And keep listening uh, for more listener questions at 800-321-0710. If you have a question, be like Bruce. Give us a call. We are live all hour at 800 321 0710. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. Don't touch that dial. Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher or that the stock market is headed for bear territory. Or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. Tune in this weekend to the financial quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to The Financial Quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check. I love listener questions. Folks, our show is live, unscripted, uncensored, unedited to make me sound good. I just sound good naturally. Give us a call, 800-321-0710. I jest. So give us a call, folks. We would love to hear from you on any and every financial education question you have. Give us a call right now. We're talking, we, we opened the show talking about the tale of the 100-year-old CEO. Rupert retires at 92. How old is too old to lead? I just spoke to a dear friend of ours retiring at 72. 
could have probably retired at 68. He felt like, hey, I'm 72. I may only have a good another eight years. You know, he said basically when he's 80, doesn't envision that he's going to surf and be as active as he is. Now, it probably shouldn't surprise anyone when a 92-year-old announces his or her retirement. And yet the media and entertainment worlds were a flutter this week at the news that the billionaire mogul Murdoch, the man who was famously never going to retire, and some say his story was uh, the basis for the uh, HBO hit Succession, would be stepping down from his chairman roles at both companies. The founder is putting 50-year-old son Lachlan in control of his sprawling empire, which includes some of the world's most influential and provocative news, opinion, and entertainment outlets. So he once said he was never going to retire, but now he retires. So there are numerous lessons. According to Fortune magazine, they're saying the lesson is get ready for the 100-year-old CEO. May happen, right? You have to be prepared for that. So what do you do? Uh, Charlie Munger, think about this. Warren Buffett, 93-year-old, Bert Rathaway. His right-hand man is 99. Charlie Munger. How old is too old to lead? It's a difficult question and an awkward one. In modern-day America, the elderly are often shunted aside, ignored, or worse. And yet talking about the infirmities that come with age is largely taboo. In a culture where Puritan work ethic endures, and many successful people define themselves primarily by their job and title, suggesting that someone is too old to work can feel akin to banishing them to an island of the forgotten and the irrelevant. But like it or not, we need to find the words to have this conversation, according to Fortune magazine. As the average U.S. life expectancy has leaped from 68 in 1950 to 76 today, as the average retirement age ticks up to 61 from 57 and 91, as older workers contend with dwindling retirement savings and the death of traditional pensions. And as Silicon Valley develops elaborate life extension treatments for those who can afford it, it's becoming clear that boomers and Gen X workers may be able to stay alive far longer than their parents. At the top tiers of the corporate world, it's time to get ready for the era of the 100-year-old CEO. Let's first acknowledge that in 23, the possibility of C-suites being filled by centenarians and mass is several years away. Today, the average age of a newly appointed CEO on the S&P 500 is just under 54, while Fortune 500 CEOs average 58. But medical advancements, precision medicine, gene editing, lab-grown organs may soon make it feasible and even desirable for business leaders to remain in charge 
into their 90s and beyond. What say you? Give us a call, 800-321-0710. Would you work till you're 100 if you could? I know many listeners, they're working into their 90s, some of them. But we have John who wants to talk about a good tax date. Go ahead, John. Yeah, Josh, good morning. I wanted to know, me and my wife's been in a house, tri-state area, 40 years. The only house we lived in together, we raised all our kids. They're all out of the house. And I want to work two more years until I reach 70 for my social. And we were going to look in South Jersey, all the way out, just like relocate. And um, we're both in very good health. And somebody mentioned Delaware because they don't tax your social they don't tax 12500 of your pension, and uh, taxes are from twelve to 1800 a year compared to what you would find other places. And you're a 45-minute ferry ride away from Cape May. I mean, to visit our kids, it wouldn't be every once a month, but it wouldn't be like moving to Florida where we would see them less with the grandkids. What do you, what do you think about that? If, if it would make no difference... You, you think it would be financially a better idea going out there compared to Jersey? Well, it depends on quality of life. Being near your children or grandchildren, to me, trumps even being better off financially. Um, I will tell you that certain beach towns in New Jersey along Cape May County have reasonable property taxes and affordability. So I love Cape May County. Cape May County is beautiful. Parts of Atlantic County. So you get sort of the vibe of being on vacation and you get some more affordable property taxes in certain areas. That being said, Delaware used to be really hot because there's no sales tax and it used to be affordable. But um, which town would you look at? Maybe lose or Milton, you know, maybe 15 minutes from the ferry, not all the way down, you know? Sure. I mean, if you get a house in Lewis, uh, you know, I'm seeing, you know, you could get, I mean, it depends on what area you live, but a really nice new construction, guess how much they're going for in Lewis? I would, I would think anywhere from, Anywhere from like five to six fifty. I'm looking at a nice new community, three bedroom, two bath, kind of like the perfect retirement home, one level uh, community, active fifty five on the web, eight oh nine. And then I'm seeing another one, three seventy nine. So it depends on where you live, I guess. See another house, five twenty nine. So you, know, you probably have to spend four to five hundred grand depending on where you want to live, what neighborhood. Um, I'm seeing quite a range from 300 to 800. The benefit of, of Delaware is the low state, um, well, they have no state sales tax and the property taxes are not that high. So that's a real uh, benefit. That being said, are you going to really schlep on the ferry you know, once a month to see your kids, you may not like that. But a lot of our clients have moved to Delaware. We, we act, in fact, have an advisor moving to Delaware 
with our company. And that uh, that's a reminder. If you are an advisor and you're looking to partner with a, a team that has vision, partner with the financial quarterback. Give us a call. 888 Josh, we're looking for advisors all throughout the country as we're growing uh, rapidly. But, I mean, I'm looking at this $559,000 home. The property taxes is $336. I mean, that's really, to me, New Jersey, by the way, if you're a senior and you make under hundred grand, they have a lot of those like social securities intaxed. Uh, so much of your pension is intaxed. So does New York, by the way. So that's not really the way, reason to move. Uh, the real reason is the property tax savings. Okay. Now, you could get certain areas in New Jersey, like Ocean City, New Jersey, for example, they re- have relatively low property taxes, but it's still like three grand instead of 300 bucks. But Delaware is good because climate's mild. I would say Jersey Shore is good too. And I would say even pos- pockets of Suffolk County are good as well. Some of the senior communities have property tax freezes, things like that. So, um, you know, call us, 888-988-JOSH, and we have a tool where we can model your budget. What if you stay in New York? What if you move to New Jersey? What if you live in Delaware? So you can make those decisions. I will tell you, we have clients who move to Delaware and they think they're going to be back as much and they're really not because it's a schlep. It's a 45-minute ferry ride. How often you're going to get in the car and drive to Long Island, Manhattan, you know, where the kids are. You know, it's not going to happen. The older you get, the less you want to take those those trips. Yeah, it's easier to go from South Jersey to Long Island, a couple hours. You go to Delaware, you're looking at a four or five hour trip now. And that's okay, but, you know, it depends on the on the relative, the family. I mean, you could certainly do that. I have nothing against Delaware. It's beautiful. Nothing against South Jersey or, or staying in New York. But here's the thing. You have to budget it, right? You have to work out a retirement planning budget. And then if you can afford being closer to your kids, do it. If you can't and you got to retire, well, yeah, you, you you just take a trip once a month to see the kids. Or you take a trip once a quarter. But those once a month trips don't happen as much as people think when they're in Delaware. That's all. Becomes like once a quarter. And we've had clients who move down there and a funny guy and they moved to Pennsylvania to be closer to their uh, daughter. They, they were trying to be in Delaware because they had kids in I don't know, Virginia, D.C., they had kids in New Jersey, Pennsylvania. So they tried to pick something equidistance. And they found that, you know, it was just a lot of driving all over the place. And as they're aging, um, you know, what what happens is, too, you might have three or four different kids that are spread out. But you got to think about who is the kid that might take care of you as you age? Does that make sense? Or who is the kid that maybe... They need your help to raise. So maybe kids are teenagers now and they don't need you as much, but maybe you have a child who, adult child who is a kid who's two and they need you to watch. I mean, and that is so rich. That is so enriching to be near your children and grandchildren. A lot of these financial planning shows do not account for that, that there's more to retirement than money. 
And our modeling system does that. But again, I'll tell you, hey, you're going to go broke if you stay in New York. So maybe you do move. Next up is Rob. Go ahead. You're on. Go ahead, Rob. Good morning, Josh. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a federal LEO uh, getting ready to retire in December, turning 50 in October. And uh, I currently have a TSP loan out. It's for savings plan, retirement plan. I have a loan out on it that uh, at the point of retirement, I'm probably going to owe about 12000 on. So I'm contemplating, should I pay it off and just you know pay it off? Or should I let it roll over and then what happens to it? Does it turn into an early withdrawal? What, what, are, the, what are the benefits either, either way? I would pay off your loan because if you don't pay it off and then roll it over, then you pay taxes on the distribution unless you... You know, unless you can afford to pay the taxes, is that going to kill you or no? No, I, I mean, I could I could afford to pay the taxes. I just wasn't sure how much I would be paying on it. Um, and then I was just considering how long would it take me to replenish the 12000 back into my savings account. That was kind of what I was weighing. Well, if your loan becomes delinquent, if you don't pay back your loan, it's declared as a taxed loan. So the twelve grand would go on your tax return. I'm oversimplifying this. So TSP loan rate right now is 4.125%. We help a lot of federal workers, help a lot of LEOs, law enforcement officers. So, I mean, if you have the money, I'd say pay it off and then just roll it over. Uh, do you have the money in cash or no? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's in a savings account. It's in the bank. And what is it earning? Um, peanuts. It's very, okay, very insignificant. So- yeah, that's your answer because if you're taxed at twelve grand, you're in a let's say you're in a twenty percent bracket, you pay twenty four hundred dollars in taxes. If you have twelve grand at the bank and you're and you're making, you know, twelve dollars of interest or one hundred and twenty dollars of interest, I, I think the best move is to take that cash, pay off the loan, and then I would consider options beyond the thrift savings plan. And we like the thrift savings plan as a way to grow your money, but when, but it's a very limiting program. So they have the G fund, the F fund, the C fund, the S and the I, and then they have the life cycle funds, which really are a combination of those. But we found that most TSP work, uh, participants, when they become aware of the various options beyond the TSP, they pick other options and there are still low cost options. If, if that, you know, back in the day, the TSP or thrift savings plan, that's sort of like the 401k if you're a federal worker, if you don't know what I'm talking about. So uh, call us at 888-988-JOSH. We'd love to help you on that. Any other questions? No, that's all. I appreciate that. Thank you. Great. Thank you. And love to meet with you or any of our federal workers listening. Give us a call. 888-988-JOSH for the TSP review. Uh, up next, Janet. Janet, you're on with Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my ex-husband died at the age of 74. He left an IRA account, but he never took an RMD. Am I responsible for any penalties? Well, I I think theoretically, uh, no, but you probably need an accountant to work on that. When was the RMD due? 
when he was 70. How old, how old was he when he passed? 74. So he didn't take RMDs for four straight years? And when, when did he, uh, when was his RBD, his required beginning date? At 70. Yeah. Um, basically, I need the retire, required beginning date calculation. So there's a calculator we put in um, where essentially what you do is you type it in. The system tells you how much is due and then how much is due and back taxes. You should get a, a financial advisor who's aware of these things. You could call us and then also a CPA to maybe, uh, you know, ask forgiveness or make corrective distributions. Did you file jointly? No. Oh, you, you were filed separately? Yeah, you may want to have a, a accountant or CPA help you as well. I don't think... If you're, if you're like claiming taxes, right? If you're volunteering to pay taxes and you're taking corrective distributions, I mean, they, they could get you for interest, right? And penalties. But, um, I think a good CPA could help you through that. Okay. But my, uh, I would call us 888 Josh. Failure to withdraw an RMD from an IRA not taken by the deadline can result in a 50% additional tax. However, the IRS will waive the tax for good cause. I'm assuming death, disability, health ailments, uh, COVID RMDs were waived. So you have, I think you have a, enough to probably avoid the, the sort of the punitive side of that rule. But let's uh, let's get you some help, okay? Call us at 888-988-JOSH. Any other questions on okay. that, Janet? No, thank you very much. Yeah, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I think you probably want to get ahead of it because sort of better to kind of volunteer that than have them find that. Okay, next, uh, Tom wants to know when... He should take his RMD. Go ahead, Tom. Good morning, Josh. Thank you for taking my call. I'm over 80 years old, a full-time employee. Don't own 5% of the company. And I'm a participant in the company-sponsored 401k plan. In January of 23 this year, I made an in-service partial withdrawal from the 401k plan and made a direct rollover into a traditional IRA in the form of a, a bank CD. I did this because of the 4.5% interest. My question is, if I retire in January of 2024, am I required to take the first RMD from the IRA by April 1st of 2024 or April 1st of 2025. April 1st of 2024 because you took it out this year. Okay. And, you know, on the 401k plans, there is a year after retirement rule, but I guess that doesn't rec uh, apply on our IRAs. Yeah, because if at any time the still working exemption 
uh, stops. So that, you know, it's basically the year you did the in-service withdrawal to do the CD, and I understand why you did that, uh, you, you now have to pay the RMD on that portion. I have to pay the RMD, the first RMD, for this by year. April 1st of, of next 2024, year. yes. Okay, Josh, that answers my question. And then your next, but it would be based on the IRA. The still working exception is kind of tricky. So I would say you shouldn't do it alone. Call us at 888-988-JOSH. What Tom is talking about is if you're a worker in a 401k and you don't own the company, don't own more than 5% of the company, you can claim the still working exception. And that's a very powerful rule. Next up, we have John. Go ahead. You're on with Josh Jelinski. We got 30 seconds. Go. Yes. Good morning, Josh. Um, I'm a retired postal employee's employer employee, and I um, will take my uh, first savings plan next year at 72. If I don't take it at 72, I will be penalized. Now, I oversaved. I have too much money. You know what? We got Am 10 I- seconds. Give us a call next week. Call us 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-5674 for the free review. 888-988-JOHN. The preceding program was sponsored by the Jelensky Advisory Group. Any awards, rankings, or recognition by unaffiliated third parties or publications, including Five Star Wealth Manager, Advisory of the Year finalist by Senior Market Advisor, and Top of the Million Dollar Roundtable, are in no way indicative of the advisor's future performance or any individual client's investment success. No award, ranking, or recognition should be construed as a current or past endorsement of Josh Jelinski or Wealth quarterback LLC. Information regarding specific awards, rankings, or recognitions is available on the Wealth Quarterback website at jelinski.org. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Investment strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. This broadcast should not be construed by any client or prospective client as a solicitation to affect or attempt to affect transactions and securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice. Due to various factors, including changing market conditions, the information discussed in this broadcast may no longer be reflective of current positions or recommendations. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Josh Jelinski and Wealth Quarterback do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. The tax and estate planning information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback, LLC.